Hi, I'm Anna Burt and I'm Sue's daughter. Hi, I'm Emily Benito. I'm Trudy's daughter. Though our mums are both dead, the fact doesn't change. We're both adapting to living our lives without our mums and know we are very much not the only ones. We have joined forces to create a podcast in the hope that we can provide what we feel we needed and still need in our grief. The mothership, the mother load. There's no getting around that mother means something big. There are so many different kinds of mother, biological, step, figure, and so many different kinds of grief when they're gone. We're here to do what we can in podcast form, welcoming guests so we can explore our experiences together, where they converge and where they vary, and, hopefully, understand a little more about the nuance and scope of The The Mother mother of All Losses. Hello, Anna. How are you in your grief today? Hello, Emily. I I am well. Um, I had a great workout this morning and I had a shower. But last night I was in a pit of um, despair because, um, as anyone who's been listening will know, I'm in the process of um, sorting through my late mum's everything. And um, last night found a bunch of really depressing documents, um, completely documenting her entire illness from the early 90s um, until she died. And it was like reading a really sad story, but I couldn't stop. And so I went to bed feeling very strange yesterday. Um, But today the sun is shining, I'm feeling a bit better. And this afternoon, I'm going to shred it all in a kind of cathartic, purge of um of sadness um so yeah it's been it's been a bit of a time to be honest it it has been difficult oh love I'm so sorry I wouldn't even know what to do with that having lived it and then seeing it all together in I guess in such a clinical like lump I completely endorse you shredding it I think that's a great ritual yeah, I think so. I borrowed a shredder from a nice man down the road called Jim, um, who gave me a very delightful demonstration when I borrowed it. And the whole process has been quite nice. And um, so if anyone in Brighton has any hamsters, I've got a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of shredding. Um, I, what do you call it? Debris? Uh, ribbons. Now, Emily, how is your grief today? Today, it's not even really touching me, Anna, I have to say, which I've not had for a while. And it's odd, those moments where you are just living and it's factual rather than emotional and it's not at the foreground of of my mind. And I do get those twinges of guilt of not that I'm forgetting, but not observing. And it's funny how if anyone else was saying that, to me I'd be like oh no of course you shouldn't feel like guilty or but when but it's different when it's you isn't it it's because you can't control other people and it's easier to be compassionate to people when you're not in their head and making their decisions you can just observe from a graceful distance whereas when it's like oh I'm the person I have to (laughs) I'm responsible for myself how does this feel but I think it's partly the ebb and flow because uh last month was both Uh, both anniversaries, uh, birthday and death day. And I think I'm just kind of recalibrating. Um, And and this is the thing, as you know well, Anna, it's not like I'm not going to grieve again soon. It's going to come back. I'll I'll be like more aware of it and it will be more present. 
um, I'm really glad the sun is shining for you because I'm, I yeah, I'm just still thinking of you last night. That's a really, a really strange pit to be in. But hey, good for you for working out. You are putting me to shame. <laughs> so I should take your. Own. I don't know if this will mean anything to anyone um, listening, but today I reached my personal best and um, Russian deadlifted forty kilograms, which for quite a small person, I think, is quite impressive. Um, but back back to that, Emily. I think. I mean, I think just to enjoy the moments of of muffled rather than acute grief is actually a very underrated thing. And I think we should all just enjoy the moments where it isn't, um, where it isn't kind of taking over and at the forefront. So that is, I'm, I'm giving you permission to be okay. Thank you, chicken. I appreciate that. I, I, I often need external permission being granted just to sort of be like, Oh no, it's cool. Um, I can settle. And also I don't understand what a Russian deadlift is, but put Russian in front of anything and it sounds really quite threatening. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so who do we have on the show today? Em? Well, today we have comedian, writer, all round cultural maven, Nick Revel. Hello. How are you, Nick? I'm grand. Thanks very much. Would you like to sort of introduce yourself a bit more? Because I know you. No, I think you've done a really good, uh, that's a pretty succinct uh, summing up of the of what I am and what I do. I think I like the cultural maven bit. So, no, that'll do. Just uh, perfect. Nick, I'm going to start us off today. How is your grief today? Well, I mean, it's interesting listening to you too, because I really don't uh, measure it or chart it in that way and um it's interesting asking myself the question uh why one addresses it in different ways and i'm thinking well firstly i'm a bloke secondly i think uh, emily lost her mother when she and her mother were much younger than when i lost my parents so and I, i'm assuming it's the same with you anna so um i don't know i mean it, that's not to say that it wasn't um you know upsetting uh when people die but uh i mean my mother was 83 uh, my dad was 85 or whatever i mean you know I, I i can't even remember exactly how old they were but you know it they'd come to the they'd come to the natural point uh and you know and obviously therefore i was older too so it wasn't it's always a shock uh even though you know it's logically going to happen um but i suspect that the trauma was not as great i think particularly with my uh mother as well because she was declining into dementia firstly you kind of had time to get used to the idea uh and secondly um without wanting to sound callous you know one was part of you was was uh, hoping for it because you know it would it it was clearly a um, a release um, for her and for everybody else. Um, as I say, that's not to say that it wasn't uh, upsetting at the time, but um, I don't really I don't really measure it or calibrate it. And I, it, it's funny because, as your listeners probably know, you kind of do the same questions. You sent me the questions beforehand so i had you know contemplated this and uh, i think you know, odd moments will trigger a more acute 
sense of the loss, like trivial things like, I don't know, through the rugby season, I would always have a conversation with my dad after the international match had finished. And, you know, I still sometimes think, oh, I should ring him. But, so it, it, it'll, be, it'll be moments like that that trigger a certain um, sensitivity to it. But the other thing I was thinking was, in my own experience, I think uh, the most kind of, I've kind of lost people uh, from quite an early age, really. And um, this wasn't the first one, but a good friend of mine who, oh, two good friends of mine overdosed on heroin in their mid-twenties. Um, and that was pretty shocking obviously, because, again, going back to what I was saying before, that it, unlike my parents, that was, that was, that was them uh, way before their allotted or expected span. So, and I think probably then also, you know, intensifies your own sense of your own mortality. Uh, and I think in terms of um, external expression, uh, that was... I'm certain that that was much more, that was much more intense. Um, I suppose the other thing with my mum particularly was this kind of weird uh, situation where when she, it was clear that she didn't have long and I was, uh, I was on tour with an American comic who had come over from the States and um, as Sod's Law would have it, she died when we were on, we, we were based in london most of the time and then i could get down to see her in an hour she was living in kent um but the second half of the tour we were completely away we were in glasgow in fact we were in glasgow the night she died and um and then we were about a week or so of just there was no way that i could cancel the tour because my friend lee had come over from the states it wasn't like you know if it had been club gigs and you can pull out get some substitute but it was different so i knew that if she went in that period i would just have to um, get on with stuff you know so basically found out after the gig in glasgow uh, that she'd died um and i thought oh we've got another 10 days so right i'm gonna have to just get drunk tonight and push it down you know um which i kind of recommend really that's facetious um but it uh, it was a way of getting through those 10 days but it's curious i mean i don't you know i'm not particularly keen on i mean I, i'm not i was going to say i'm not particularly keen on the um public expression uh of of grieving anyway um and in fact i was in two minds when you asked me to do this whether to do it or not for those reasons of just you know probably cultural indoctrination you know um the one thing that you missed out on the uh very kind description of me was of course you know northern man tough as old boots nothing harms me um but i mean i think you know it, it's it, the reason that i decided to do it is because i think that uh you know that there is benefit in uh addressing these things publicly and particularly if you come from a generation and a, uh, a background which uh, encourages reticence about those kind of things then i think it's quite good to actually fight your own instincts having said that i also think there's times when people should just fucking shut up and get on with it <laughs> there's a balance <laughs> um what do you what what would those times be nick 
<laughs> I would. Oh, that's a good question, isn't it? Um, again, you know, uh, my my first instinct is to uh, is to go into some improvised uh, comic assessment of the situation, which might, uh, joking apart, hold the occasional sort of uh, piece of uh, useful integrity. But I'll I'll restrain myself from doing that. I think, um, well, for example, on a few, you know purely practical level, when I was on that, when I was on the tour, I mean, I know you know Lee was aware of the situation, um, but it wasn't going to be useful for anybody for me to be talking about it directly at length in any depth for that period at all. It's just not going to help me. It wasn't going to help the situation. So that was a those were conditions in which it did make perfect sense to uh, just get on with <laughs> with burying it, you know, for a while. Um, but that was more an acute um, situation with special measures. I suppose it, I mean, again, you know, I don't really talk about it that much with people anyway, but I think it's selecting who you talk to and feel partly from my point of view it'd be who do i feel comfortable talking about it with um which is not many um and yeah i think there's a kind of i think that's probably i think that's probably the criterion for me is finding people or choosing to discuss it with the people who are uh, willing and capable, which by which I suppose being close enough to you, um, to share it in a situation where you're confident in the vulnerability that it entails, um, and that you're not unnecessarily burdening people which is probably the, the definition of what's unnecessary burdening is probably uh, something one could discuss for a long time. Um, and it's curious, you know, just talking like this, I'm aware of how much cultural conditioning affects us all in terms of the openness and the articulate, uh, articulation of it. Something else that comes into my mind, for example, is for all my, um, you know, suppression of these kind of well just emotions generally probably um I'm, I'm i'm at the same time aware of friends of mine who are even more uh, locked up in it um, there's a couple of friends of mine at the moment who i'm conscious of them needing to be uh, to talk about uh, bereavement either recent or impending and it's quite an interesting cat and mouse game to provide them with the option of being able to spill to me, but without doing it in such a direct way that it pushes them away. So I suppose a lot of what I'm doing is indirectly processing it or indirectly expressing it or benefiting from it by being aware of how other people can be screwed up by it. And, of course, that, as I say, it <laughs> takes me straight back into uh, I'm northern and nothing can harm me, you know. Um, 
can I stop talking for a bit now? <laughs> I think that's so um, that's so interesting, Nick, because it's like it, it really, really occurs to me how um, how I kind of don't see, or I would never think of someone else's grief as a burden. But I can't remember whether or not I would have thought that before I'd been really bereaved. And there are definitely times when I'm like, this is absolutely not appropriate to um, talk about now in any kind of serious way. And I'll just make some terrible joke just to kind of break the ice. What do you feel like, Em? Well, this is partly why I wanted to invite Nick here because I'm, I was, I'm very aware of, uh, of the differences in that Anna and I are uh, generally sort of southern millennials and yet even within kind of the idea that somehow we're becoming, if not more emotionally literate than encouraged at least to speak up and talk out uh, about these things but no, but no one is really um an expert on grief because each uh grief in, and bereavement is so unique and i think what we're trying to do is um, speak up and get on with it. Um, but I completely agree. I feel like there are definitely times where it's very hard for me to really remember what it was like and how I was and how I behaved with and around grief and bereavement before my mum died. Because there was not, I'm someone where there was not a huge amount of it around it and like immediately I've never I wasn't like directly um bereaved and I'm not sure how I felt in terms of uh other people um and whether they ever felt they could come to me because I just wasn't on a level to understand it and I I agree though I think that even though I'm very much someone who is very um encouraging and understanding how vital it is to talk about these things and and to express feelings and emotions it's so important to be able to do it in a safe and I don't want to say appropriate because I, I worry that that then veers into sort of the social conditioning that you were mentioning Nick and and, our, and what we deem uh, to be appropriate is is so contingent on that but for me for example I what you were saying in terms of people that you felt secure enough and, and safe with to talk about it I completely understand that because there are some you know, friends of mine where it was almost like a gut feeling of, no, you're just not going to be able to deal with it. And then I'm not going to spill my guts and then you're not able to clear up the mess. And I'm probably left there with it all hanging out and I'm in a worse state than I was before. And that's not blaming them. It's just understanding the levels which we're at but Nick thank you for overriding your instincts and joining us how vulnerable it, it, it is and um but I think this is it you you know you sort of mentioned um as I as I think I have for uh in previous episodes um I've just passed the two-year mark of my mother dying Anna uh you're at seven you're coming up to seven years is that oh I've got I've got that right yeah nearly seven and Nick how long has it been for you since my mum died, it'd be just over seven, uh, and my dad just over nine. But I mean, you know, as I say, the other thing is that I didn't use, lose them as 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 young as either of you did. So, and I think that's a real, you know, I think that's a massive. That is a massive difference because, 
you know you, we know it's we know it's part of the natural uh, cycle of uh, a cycle so but, but as i say when people are over their allotted span you know then it's a completely different proposition it doesn't mean you're not saddened but it, it i think it's i think it's much much easier to take as i say you know l losing people that i wasn't well, who i was very close to but as a, at a younger age you know if i imagine doing that with relatives you know factoring in that that amount of impact it had on me at what 24 or whatever and then imagine that as relatives um it i can vaguely imagine the intensity of it but i know it would be much greater um i, I get I, well here's here's, here's, an, here's an example of a public expression of it um which i think the behavior of uh, uh <laughs> God, what was her name? She was a friend of my friends, very posh, very posh, upper class, kind of, he was a kind of upper class bohemian. Anyway, um, after the wake of my friend Simon, I was drinking quite a lot of whiskey. We were all drinking a lot, but I was in the, I was in the downstairs loo at his uh, mother's house and uh, I was howling in there and I thought I was, uh, I thought I was, you know, out of the way, keeping it just private. Um, and of course, you know, uh, this was having an effect on the rest of the the wake. So, so this this girl came in and uh, sort of basically pulled me off the floor and just slapped me in the face <laughs> half a dozen times. <laughs> it really helped. Uh, I was really pissed as well. I said, oh, "I said," she said, "That's enough, you know." Slap me. I said. And she's wearing a leather jacket because she was, well, that's another story. But um, uh, and I thought, oh, you could pay a lot of money for this kind of treatment in Soho. So, you know, able to, able to, uh, to crack the joke even in that situation. But it did, uh, it did help. Um, and, you know, that, that's probably the most public expression of, uh, of the grieving that I've ever ever done in any of the situations i i always get bloody asked to do um speeches at you know people's once you get a reputation for being a public speaker and you're into the zone of death then people say well you say a few words about so and so you think, oh fucking hell not again you know um but so that can be a bit rocky uh, but I do find alcohol helps. Like you know, number of times I've had to do a gig on the on the uh, on the night uh, on the evening of a funeral. That can be that can be tough. You have to you have to get the balance right between having enough conversation at the funeral with the people more directly connected to you or whatever, uh, and then just you know having a point where you're making the transition into going to be funny in front of strangers. Um, and I think maybe maybe there's a certain amount of control. I mean, there's a certain amount of control in that, which is both good and bad. I think, I think it's being aware that you're exercising the control so that the suppression is only temporary because I do think these things just fester in you. If you don't address them in some way, uh, ultimately, um, but maybe, I mean, I, you know, I was just thinking of two or three gigs I've done on the back of funerals where you, I come home and you think, well, actually that was a pretty tough day, 
uh, well done, you know, and and that'll be enough for me just to recognise that there was an extra, there was an extra level of, um, I won't say nerves for the gig, but an extra level of stress for the gig, and I think just acknowledging it sometimes in a, you know, again I'm consciously aware of all the the cultural and generational differences here, but it's curious sort of making myself talk out loud about them. But I think that is probably, that's enough sometimes, you know, just to acknowledge that, that that wasn't easy. And that can, that can be enough to, by implication, acknowledge the, the, the pain of the situation. Uh, I don't necessarily need much, I suppose. I've found uh, uh, sort of comedians who've clearly never lost anyone because they say, oh, God, you know, that gig was like a funeral in there. I'm like, no, funerals are actually a lot more compassionate than the majority of audiences at the Edinburgh Fringe. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Anna and I's main question um, for everyone is we too often ask how someone died, but really if you could tell us your mum's name and tell us a little bit about how she lived. Well, her name was Rosemary. She died uh, of, you know, she just wasted away with dementia and then it got to the point where it was uh, DNR and that was best all round and so on. She and my dad met in London and lived in North London for the first few years of my life. And then we moved up to Yorkshire where she was a um, housewife for them got a job as a school librarian and was uh, very popular at the girls' school with a lot of the girls there. She was sort of an agony aunt as well, I think. Um, and, of course, it was very useful having an excuse to visit the girls' school uh, as a teenage boy. Um, she was pretty uh, – she, she was very sociable and entertaining. Um uh, I suppose, like my dad had, a, they both had a good sense of humour. I, when, when I was first touring in a group, I toured for a while for a couple of years with a couple of other comics. This is sort of what mid eighties, and I only name dropped to give a sense of what it gives the sense of what my parents were like. Which was, um, it was me, it was a group called Brave New Comedy, and uh, the, the four of us was me, uh, Norman Lovett, who was the computer on Red Dwarf. Um, and then Ooh. Arnold Brown, venerated, uh, a venerable Scottish comedian, who's a good friend of mine. Still doing very well at the moment. I haven't spoken to him for a couple of weeks, but he's in sort of fairly, he's been in sort of shielding lockdown because he's diabetic and all that, but he's in very good condition generally. And Paul Merton. And so the four of us would tour. And when we were up north to save money, we would often stay at my mum and dad's. And uh, so they would stay up till we got back from the, the gig, you know, wherever it would be within a probably a hundred mile radius of their house in West Yorkshire, we'd go back there and, and then, you know, the drinks would be out. And I remember, <laughs> remember the first night, uh, it was quite funny, but I remember, I remember Paul saying, it's like having a drink with the Marx brothers, which, you know, is a, <laughs> it's a nice compliment, not only in itself, but also the person bestowing it. Um, but there was one time when we were on our way up to, Edinburgh, and there was a carload of us stopped off. It's about halfway, and uh, so I'm um, drink sandwiches, and it's quite, I can't remember how many people there were. But my mother's talking to some people around one end of the room, and I'm talking to a couple of people on my dad, other end of the room. And my dad gets this postcard off the mantelpiece, which was this, uh, um, you know, that little priapic Greek god with the enormous, well, 
the enormous penis. I say enormous, enormous, if you're a southerner, you know, for us. In- uh. <laughs> a, anyway, so my dad said, so, oh, look, uh, next door neighbors are in Greece on holiday. They sent us this postcard. And he goes, I think they sent it to jog my memory. Ha, 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 ha. So my end of the room laugh at this. My mother's down the other end of the room, you know, talking at whoever she's talking at and without missing a beat she goes well it didn't jog mine anyway so <laughs> so that was the sort of you know that was their, their, their two senses of humor um and uh yeah that's a pretty good characterization of how they were socially um and i i always i, I actually i do this on stage occasionally in the stand-up set and in fact when i was doing the set in glasgow at the stand when I knew she was close to death, I, I, I was doing this. And I think I probably did it. We worked out probably almost exactly at the time she died. Probably wasn't, but it'd be nice to think it was, which was uh, the precipitation into, into her death. It took, I guess, about two or three months. Classic thing. She fell out of bed and broke her hip and broke her wrist and so on, blah, blah, blah. So I was down in, I was down in Dorset in Swanage, which is quite a difficult place to get to. And I got this phone call from my sister that this had happened in the night. And so I get up and get, you know, sort of drive around all these sort of islands and peninsulas to get back onto the mainland, as it were, and then drive all the way to uh, Canterbury where she was in hospital. And Muriel and my wife come down from London. So we meet up and uh, we walk into the room and she's sitting there uh, lying there in, in the bed, my mother, and she, you know, as I say, she she had dementia, but she was never completely away with the fairies. You could have a conversation with her. It was just short-term memory. But obviously the the real horror that you have is that they'll get to that point where they are away with the fairies and they've no idea of who you are, you know. So sort of dreading that point. And we walk in and she's got oxygen pipe going up her nose. she's got a drip in and she's got a painkiller in so she's got two drips in and she's got like you know hair all over the place completely groggy and no makeup and stuff and she's looking terrible and she's got a plaster cast on her wrist and so on she's lying there in bed she's had the operation so you know she's groggy from the anesthetic so she's lying there and we walk in and she just looks as if we were standing at the door hi mum how you doing and she just stared at us completely empty and we walked up, sat down, uh, chairs by the bed there. Hi, Rose, how you doing? Uh, and we sat down and nothing from her. I'm thinking, oh, Christ, she's, you know, she's really, she's gone. She doesn't know who we are. I mean, as I say, we sat down. How are you? And she went, looking forward to old age, dear. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just. I just, I, I love that more and more, actually. I mean, the, the kind of, it's almost like a piece of Beckett or something, isn't it? Like, <laughs> you can't, you can't beat it, but you can, you know. I always think it, what it makes me think of, it's the same thing as in Raging Bull, where uh, De Niro's on the, on the ropes in the second fight with, uh, with Sh- Sugar Ray Robinson, and he's losing it. But he'd knocked Sugar Ray down in the first fight and beaten him with a knockout, and he's against the ropes, getting completely battered, and he's just going, "You couldn't put me down, Ray. You never put me down. You never put me down, Ray. You couldn't put me down." And I, you know, it's, the, the result is inevitable, but your attitude can mean so much. You know? mm. So, do you think um, Rosemary's like sense of humour and like her leading? 
with humor in that is it like would you say that she influenced you in that regard well i think i think yeah i think they certainly i think they both did yeah definitely um and you know uh, yeah yeah without without question without question yeah anna and i've spoken a lot about humor um and how it a lot of people don't aren't necessarily in on the joke if they haven't had experience of bereavement or you know terminal illness and the feeling of someone kind of um slipping away and it what i just find really interesting about that that's sort of uh beckett like moment is that rosemary was leading yeah with humor yeah yeah exactly you're owning it yeah 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 but it's a way of owning it and it's a way of i don't know it's a way of uh dealing with your mortality, your smallness in the universe, but still giving yourself um, some manner of uh, control. It's not control or acknowledgement. It's, it's by understanding the situation. It might not help you out but it, it, in, in, in a material sense, but it somehow makes, it, makes you stronger. There's a, I love this story. Uh, which is a more broad illustration of it. And, well, I'll tell the story first, and then it's just interesting the reactions that this gets. Uh, anyway, um, it was told by Tom Sharp, the novelist, when he was on the South Bank show years ago. And obviously they'd set him up with this question, you know, and Melvin says to him, so what's the quintessence of the British sense of humour? Can you define the essence of it? <laughs> and, uh, and Tom Sharp goes, well, I, I don't know if this story is apocryphal or, or true, but it, it doesn't really matter. I, uh, the Western, Western Front in 1916, and uh, there's a, a contingent of new, uh, new recruits being marched up to the front line to join their unit, and it's, the conditions are terrible. They're on the Somme. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's been raining for days, and so it's terrible mud uh, and duckboards sinking into the mud as they're marching up all these communication trenches. At the same time, it's incredibly hot. The sun beating down, but the flooding and the water is still there. So they're trudging through in these exhausting conditions, and they're marching closer and closer to the front through these miles of trenches, and the shell fire is getting louder as they get closer to the front line. And and one of the soldiers says to the sergeant in charge, I'm Sarge, can we sit down and have a rest for five minutes? And the sergeant in charge of them says, well, what, do you, what do you want to have a rest now for? You'll be dead in half an hour. That is terrible. I love that. It's wonderful, isn't it? But it's just interesting the different reactions that it gets. And interestingly... Telling it in Sweden, they didn't like it at all, you know. Oh, and it really? was just so, yeah, I'm surprised because there's a very similar sense of humor, I think, Scandinavian humor. And I, but, you know, that kind of bleakness, maybe it is quintessentially um, British. I don't think it's uh, exclusively, but I, I, I just love that way that the sardonic gives you you a certain amount of power in my opinion you know i don't see that as a sick joke but some people do you know it's like i think what it is it gets you out of denial you know this this is going to happen to all of us so acknowledging that gives you power over it you know rather than pretending that it's never going to happen it's not it's not a panacea 
but it but it you know it's like what we're doing now is talking about it isn't it so you know. Completely. I saw a tweet that said, um, I thought summed it up really nicely, which said, remember, it's only gallows humor if you're on the gallows. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? And I can yeah. with you. It's kind of, um, it's uh, in the face of the most sort of powerlessness, you know, you to, to kind of blow a raspberry in the face of mortality, I think is, <laughs> it's like being kind of silly, but but you're passing on wisdom as well. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, gallows humour can be a form of uh, can be a form of wisdom. I mean, you know, in the same way that people who know that they're terminally ill uh, develop a different set of priorities. You know, Nick. One thing that I haven't asked yet, which I'm quite interested in, is: Do you have siblings, and how has your reaction kind of differed to them? If you do, uh, yeah. Uh, I have a sister. Um, I would say that she's uh, she's probably more um, affected by it than I am. I mean, in the sense that you know, she'll remember the she'll remember the the days on which they died more. You know, I'll have a I've got a I, I don't specifically remember it, and um, you know, uh, she will do. You know, and I always seem to be able to manage to. Uh, ring her up on that particular i mean we talk a fair amount anyway but uh, maybe i've got some kind of subconscious uh, calendar there um but i kind of you know possibly sounds sort of callous but i don't i make a i don't make i don't know i don't know which way around it is i don't make a point of remembering that specifically or maybe i make a point of not remembering. I don't know which way around it is. Um, it doesn't seem to diminish my sensitivity and, you know, uh, that perennial sense of um, loss and uh, not just with them, the way that, you know, I realise that certain, you know, people I've taken for granted or maybe not expressed the, you know, what how important they were to me until they're gone. All those kind of, you know, I don't, we don't need to go through the, the whole list, but all those kind of, if you like, more everyday, um, all those everyday elements of uh, friendship or important relationships that, when the person is gone, you're you're aware of um, the uh, when you've failed to express something or you wish you'd expressed something, and it also makes you more aware of them. Uh, amongst the people that you're around and who are still there. And I think that's, you know, that's a value that um, can be overlooked, I think, the way that it plugs you back into the living world as well. Yeah. Um, it's a rambling answer to your question, but um, I'm, I'm increasing. I was just going to say, Nick, um, what are the kind of like, obviously seven years on, and I'm seven years on too, but... Um, what are the moments in your everyday life when that kind of spark you thinking about your mum? Like, oh, I wish I could tell her that, or I wish she was here, or she'd have loved that. I would say with with her, it's probably um, watching uh, a film that we might watch together, and uh, or some of the books, and just realizing how much uh, how much I enjoyed talking about well listening to her talk about oh i don't know you know a particular film or a particular cultural historical moment and something that prompts a memory of that will prompt my awareness of how sharp she was and also i think 
more and more aware of how you know systemically uh, women's potential was not fulfilled. I and mean, I don't mean that she didn't have a pretty fulfilling life, but when I'm I'm aware of you know I'm aware of that as well. Just the the kind of the intellectual and the cultural insights and uh, energy that she had, which were I mean, undervalued uh, societally. Yeah. So it's just little moments like that here or there. As I say, I don't, it's a, you know, the whole basis of the, the, the loss for me was much more conventional anyway. So, yeah, I guess, I guess in terms of like large life landmarks, um, yeah, yeah, she was there for yeah. most of them, which is, great. yeah, exactly. And, you know, that sense of not, you know, I, I can totally empathize with the intensity, intensity of your, losses compared to mine but i think the other thing it also does is you know is it make and this would be i probably do this more effectively as a sardonic comic piece but just as the 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 the, the bare bones of the idea the idea of what one goes through with some form of conventional loss if you like for want of a better phrase and then, you know, you pick up any newspaper and you look at war zones and refugees fleeing war zones or places that are underwater or on fire or whatever. And you just try and conceive of the amount of emotional and physical pain and distress that so many people out there having to carry much greater than, you know, for yours, greater than mine, mine, I feel, we all feel it. And but that, that extrapolation to the amount of, uh, I don't know, the amount of pity we should, uh, an active uh, objection to the pitiful circumstances that probably most of the globe is being shoved into, you know, I, I, I that, that sense of perspective, um, is I don't know. It, it, it's something which it, I, I I think is. It kind of came to me where, since you've been you know asking me to do this as well, and I think it's that it, 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 I think there's a political importance to that as well as a personally emotional one. Just you know the understanding of just wow, if this is a heavy burden, then why are those people not even more angry? And you know just what what are the consequences? Of this? Nick, we, we, we touched on this slightly earlier, but another question that Anna and I have is in terms of grief and, and the loss of Rosemary, so what's helped and what hasn't? Because Anna and I have definitely spoken uh, off mic a lot in terms of like alcohol and like culturally, I think it's just so, it's so acceptable and so available and integrated into so many um kind of death rituals across across religions and across cultures. Um, but again, alcohol can become a problem <laughs> in and of itself. But in terms, you know, so, but, uh, and I really feel for you and, you know, that sense of being on tour and that suspension anyway of being like, well, it's not good for anyone, least of all me, if I lean into this right now. And I certainly felt like a big level of kind of just sort of um, just – like suspension like almost like in you know old like um looney tunes where you'd have a character you know or bugs bunny like run off the cliff 
and that moment of just hanging there and it's like your realization of the of how far there is below you is what makes you fall um so I was definitely not looking down for like a long time and I'm just really interested to hear more from you in terms of um, like does you know does work help or hinder Anna and I are definitely ch- ch- uh, chatting a bit about like oh you know well we're, we've both created a, a new project which we want <laughs> to help people but that's also this is an, an arm of our grief and trying to deal with it as well in terms of what you were saying about indirectly kind of grieving through listening to other people um, but yeah alcohol work talking not talking go yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh- yeah, well, okay, easy one first. The alcohol, um, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't rely on it at all. In any, I mean, I'm talking generally. I don't rely on it. I mean, I bloody enjoy it, um, but uh, I, I don't rely on it um, as a, as a therapy, except in extremists. Like, I mean, it did make sense that night to just get, you know, just get pissed and. Uh, and then have a, a, a have a hangover to deal with rather than anything else, you know. Um, but I mean, again, I suppose there is uh, the, the, obviously that's deliberately flippant, but at the same time, it's this constant challenge between living in. Uh, I was going to say living in the past, but that's not quite right. Living in the in in this abstract area of um, emotional of intense emotional distress, which we can't go on doing forever one can acknowledge it and carry it somewhere or whatever but at the same time you know the if you like the polar the other end of that pole is you've got to get on with your everyday life and you know go to the shops and buy milk and uh, uh, or probably in your case some oat based alternative. Uh, <laughs> i wish you weren't right i really wish you weren't right yeah, it's uh, it's milk for me. I don't know about you, Anna, but I'm I'm on there you go. at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, yeah, and go out and get a newspaper from the shop at the same time, made out of real trees. Uh, and you know, but you do you have to get on with doing the banal things as well, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and you know, I find that alcohol gets in the way of that after a while. You know, um, so I yeah I. I don't. I, luckily, I don't have a problem with with alcohol. I'm pretty good at using it. Uh, you know, con- well, even when I'm going on the lash, I'm pretty good at containing that. Uh, maybe just because my bladder's not as reliable as it used to be. You know? <laughs> it might, you know, that's one of the benefits. Go take your tenor old, man you know? with you, Nick. <laughs> well, exactly. Or I could. There's another routine there to be written, isn't there? About or t- yes, exactly. Uh, or tie a knot in it, which of course. I can, but, um, so alcohol, that's done. Um, the other one. Yeah. I mean, I do, I don't do a lot of talking. I, this is probably the most talking about, about it I've done for, well, since I can remember. But as I say, I think that that doesn't mean that I'm not processing it from time to time. And, I, 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 and, and not just the, I want to keep stressing. It's not just, parental bereavement but also you know other friends and 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 close people close to me that i've lost over uh, over the years and so on um christ so many comedians in the last while but that's another story let's not get down that one um i am more aware and of of just trying to make sure that friends of mine don't 
disappear into um, culturally induced reticence about it. Um, and uh, uh, and again, it's not like I'm going to say, right, we're going to have you know, four hours talking about it exclusively and intensively. Might not be talking about it at all, but I'm just aware of, you know, I'm aware of friends I'm looking out for in, in that regard who obviously won't listen to this so so that my cover won't be blown you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah screw you for trying to be supportive (laughs) (laughs) but well yeah you know you don't uh, uh, (laughs) strange how I sort of find myself instinctively going into sort of Yorkshire avatars to you know be comically blocked and blocking about about exactly that but yeah it but i am i'm I'm aware of it you know but sometimes it can be just i don't know just knowing that making sure that you get to see folk rather than just say oh you know give us a shout yeah being being proactive um no not what's the word being um it probably is yeah yeah, don't be reactive don't wait for them yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's a pain in the ass when they take you up on it, and you have to, you know, absolutely exhausting watching that. someone cry. Oh, oh god, here oh. they go, here they go. I told them it would be all right. Wasn't that enough? And now they're actually taking me up on it. God, bloody hell! Emotional clarity and <laughs> catharsis. So you know, uh, <laughs> um, no, I uh, that kind of sense of um, I'm hesitating because I'm, go- I'm uh, it's almost like I'm congratulating myself for being uh, slightly more empathetic. A great friend, you are. <laughs> yeah, a great I don't friend want to do none of that. You know, <laughs> don't want that. Um, you don't want to get. Well, you don't want to get a reputation for that, do you? Let me know. <laughs> That's so funny. I, um, People won't yeah, be scared I mean, of you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not scared of you. If that um, but what I was going to say is, um, there's there's a funny a funny thing that keeps kind of happening in my life that I feel like I'm the the kind of because it happened a relatively long time ago now, and I'm I'm always very happy to speak about it mostly, um, and. Um, I'm kind of the go-to, oh, you know, I get messages from, from my friends saying, oh, you know, my friend or my colleague or my cousin or or someone's parent has just died, can I give them your number? And although it's mostly kind of okay, you know, I work five or six days a week. I'm very tired a lot of the time. You don't always have that emotional energy. So it is it is not an easy thing to kind of help the bereaved always. I think it's worth acknowledging that you have to be in the right mental state yourself otherwise you just burn out and then you're just useless yeah it's particularly exhausting um i think it's a particularly exhausting thing god yeah that is uh, yeah you you sum it up very well there i think i don't think i'd be in the position where people i'd be getting third hand grievers or whatever or you know breathe but um it's because you're a northern man exactly but it is it's yeah it is absolutely but it's generational as well isn't it um yeah. i think and, and 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 all the cultural differences that come from that that's really interesting and probably gender as well but uh, you know that yeah that's that's a tough one i mean how do you deal with it do you yeah how do you deal with that well i think i just i'm like relatively boundaried and i really try and make sure that i don't say things unless i know that i can follow up on them so if i say 
I won't say literally call me any hour of the day because don't call me any hour of the day. That's not appropriate. But I might say, um, you know, drop me a line if you want to go for a drink next month. Um, let me know how you're feeling in a couple of weeks and then check in on them. But I think it is um, it is important to have certain boundaries because then also people are so vulnerable in their grief. And I'm not an authority on it. You know, my grief is specific to me. Other people's grief is specific to them. So I don't don't have all the answers. All I can kind of say, and I've said this to Emily many times, is like, it it doesn't actually get worse. Um, it It does soften in its kind of pain. But that's kind of it. I don't know how, you know, Jane, whose dad died last year, feels because my dad's alive. I don't know Jane and I didn't know Jane's dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there are certain general things that you can pass on, but yeah, it's, it's yeah, so many uh, variables in what one's expected to, yeah, so many variables of communication and expectation and cultural pre, uh, what's the word I'm looking for there? Um, preordination, that's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Do you, we're forced into these into these uh, molds and so on. Um, God, yeah, that's tough, though. That is tough. I, I don't know what I'd do if that happened. So tell, you, tell, tell your friends not not to give them my number. I'm going to find your number and give it to everyone I know um, yeah. and just ask them to, um, to, tell, to tell you how sad they yeah. are. Yeah. Um, Nick, is there anything we haven't asked you today that you'd like to mention or talk about? And actually, I'm quite interested in knowing how this was for you because, um, like you said, you haven't really spoken about it that much in the last seven years. You know? This must be strange. That was good. I, I think it, I, I think um, I surprised myself, um, which is usually, I suppose, quite a good thing, isn't it? Uh, thank you for. I don't think there is anything else. The only thing I would say to anybody who's directly listening to this, uh, directly affected, you know, recently bereaved or whatever. I mean, I think the one thing that. Um, I would be clear on is that it does get better. It does get easier. You know, you'll always, you'll always be missing the person from time to time. And as we've discussed, you know, how regularly or quantifiably that is, is, um, varies massively, but there's always some kind of sense of loss there and it, it does ease and it does. I hesitate to say that it becomes a benefit, but I think that you learn things from it which has got to be a good thing. And I think the trick is, and it's an utterly banal cliche, but sometimes they're the, well, as funny enough, it was, I think it was Graham Greene who said, you know, the reason you get so many cliches at bereavement and funerals is because they, they are sometimes the only phrases that will do. And they, you know, they transmit the sincerity without, but in a, by doing it in a formulaic form, you, you're keeping boundaries as well sorry that probably opens up another conversation what i will say is that um i think that you know the trick is to keep breathing and it's um you know it's very bizarre uh, how useful i found that you know right uh, gotta go to the shops now even though i'm organizing this funeral and blah 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 you know uh so yeah it gets easier and it's just concentrating on the small things that keep us get us through the everyday um, when these massive, momentous, um, unusual events hit us, even though they're going to hit us all, you know. Mm-hmm. So, 
Well, Nick, um, Anna and I can't thank you enough for putting aside your northern manness for an hour to introduce <laughs> us to Rosemary and to be and to be vulnerable and to um, share your observations. And well, thank you for asking me. Um, no, I enjoy. I did enjoy it actually. So good luck. Thank you, and um, I'd just like to say, if any southern men are upset about Nick's comment about the size of their penises, then um, that's something that I won't be able to um, help reassure them with. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mother of All Losses podcast. This episode was edited by Frank Palmer. Music by Kane Aris, who can be found at Atom Collection 2 on SoundCloud, with huge thanks to Hannah Trevathan. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on themotheroforlosses at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, take care of yourselves and your grief.